A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Saca, pide mano. No hay nada. Continúa Shaka con el balón. Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly evening to you. Goodly evening, Andrew. How are you feeling? You're back home in Dublin now. Back home, yeah. Voice, as you can hear, is a little bit croaky after the weekend. It was perfectly fine after uh, Saturday, after mm. our Union Chapel event. But there was, it's fair to say, quite a lot of singing and, um, you know, applauding and wooing and all that kind of stuff throughout the 90 minutes of the game yesterday. There was a lot to sort of uh, strain the vocal cords, it's fair to say. And they are strained. And of course, all the all the talking over the course of what was a, an amazing weekend has uh, has had a little bit of an effect. But I'm back home and I'm knackered. And it, uh, Andrew, <laughs> if you've been applauding with your vocal cords... I mean, I think you've been doing it wrong, and that would explain why your voice box is struggling so much, trying to replicate a clap sound oh, using your throat. Damn. Yeah, that, that that's be... really going to take it out of you. Clap, 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 uh, clap, 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 yeah, yeah, just shouting clap, 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 yeah. clap, clap. You know if you bang your hands together. Hang on, what? You can just do that and rest your voice. Mind-blowing. Yep. That's what I've been doing the whole time. Oh, I mean, you fucking keep these trade secrets to yourself. I know, right. Well, you know. I think me, you're I'm so cool, so you know. I know all this stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, my voice is also, uh, I think screwed is the most polite <laughs> way of putting it. Um, but it was worth it. What a great weekend to finish the season. It, it surely was. It surely was. And um, we'll talk about the, the Arsenal win and we'll talk about the final day of the season, I'm sure. But we've got to just mention, you know, the Saturday night that we had was was wonderful and amazing. Um, I've had people asking about, you know, can they watch it? Yes, you can. You can watch it on the Arsblog YouTube channel. If you go to the the tab for, I think it's live. Um, you can see the whole broadcast there. There's a little glitch in it, which um, we will get corrected at some point. I think it drops out for a couple of minutes um, after about half an hour, but we'll get that fixed. And we'll also try and get the audio, the, the sort of raw audio together to to get it up as a podcast, but to do this again, like we did last year to, you know, with you and with Elliot and Clive and Paul and Tim and to bring people together in that amazing venue, you know, I, I, I find it sometimes a little hard to put into words how meaningful it is without trying to sound like a wanker. You know what I mean? 
Um, but it is extraordinary, and I, I, I feel like I just need to say thank you to all of those people again for coming along and for supporting and for being part of an event and a crowd that was you know, just so positive and so much fun and to meet people afterwards and have the chats and a beer and pictures and all of that. It's just amazing to... Uh, to meet people in real life where, you know, real life is a is a better place than some people might have you think. That's the best place, arguably. Yes. Uh, certainly one of my favourites. I think um, you're absolutely right. And it was an amazing night at Union Chapel. And you can't take it for granted at all. I mean, that venue is just extraordinary. And I think, you know, the, the reality is we could probably sell a few more tickets, but it's just such a beautiful space mm. uh you feel so lucky to be on that stage yeah. and you know in that environment and then the other thing is like in the back of your mind you're sort of thinking well the season kind of fizzled out a little bit and you know is that going to dampen spirits or dampen the mood and the last song they played before we went on stage was north london forever and when it got to the chorus and i could hear you know 700 odd people who were there singing along I realised very quickly that spirits were pretty high. And actually, that was sort of the theme of the weekend. Me yes. kind of wondering, is it going to feel like a bit of a a damp squib or, you know, a disappointing denouement? And it didn't at all because be it at Union Chapel, be it at the Tollington, be it in the Emirates Stadium, people were just really up for it and in a sort of, great frame of mind and really positive and it made it such a lovely weekend no it really did it really did and we'll talk about that because i think that is the theme of the weekend is the mood that that surrounded the final day of the season which you know maybe some people weren't quite expecting i also just want to say a, a big thanks again to uh, ian wright for coming along even if in the last few minutes before we went on stage and i was uh, nervously pacing around in the green room waiting for, <laughs> waiting for him to arrive uh my heart was all a flutter but uh you know it was worth it and I, I will never as long as i live forget the roar that greeted his arrival on stage it was it was unbelievable do you remember last year when we did it and when we came on stage there was this roar and you said i think you said something along the lines wow this is what it's like to score a goal or something. You know, if you've got to do that, if this is what eight, 900 people sound like, what's it like in front of 60,000? Mm. But, but the roar that greeted Ian when he came on stage was like nothing I've ever experienced before. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. I never will. It's just an amazing memory. So thank you to him for, for coming along, for giving so generously of his time and for, you know, taking part in what was a, a really, really fun show to do. It was actually a really special moment to be part of. And obviously the fact it was a surprise really added to it. But just, you know, he's so beloved, Ian, by Arsenal fans. And yeah. I think actually, you know, if you watch the videos that exist of that moment, you can see it meant a lot to him. You know, I mm. think receiving that reaction en masse, uh, that wall of sound, those chants of... Ian, right, right, right. Uh, I think he couldn't help but be moved by it. But yeah, to be stood alongside him on that stage at that moment in time was an absolute privilege. Yes, it certainly was. Um, you know, you do, you, life takes you in weird directions. You do things, you don't know quite where you're going to end up. And like, 
the idea that you know for us two f- Arsenal fans right just all we are is Arsenal fans who have you know written about the club and talked about the club for a while that one day you're going to be on stage with with somebody uh, as legendary as Ian Wright is just you know you can't you can't sort of make that as a career path you know you can't he sit down He knows my name Andrew he knows my name Jimbo Jimbo, that's what he called you when he arrived. I can't oh, believe Jimbo. it. I, every time that he remembers who I am, I'm completely bowled over. Uh, it is pretty amazing. It is. So thank you. Yeah, thank you to Ian. That was brilliant. Um, let's go back to the mood yesterday then, because it was a beautiful day in North London. It was probably a beautiful day elsewhere, but that's where we were. The sun was shining. It was warm. And... We walked down from where we were staying um, uh, on Upper Street. We walked down uh, Upper Street, down Holloway Road, and everyone seemed to be in a good mood. And we turned down uh, towards the Tollington, and we were like, hang on a minute, is that is that singing? And it sounded loud. It sounded like a lot of people. And as we got further down the road, a little bit closer to the Tollington, I realized it was Arsenal fans singing, we nearly won the league, we nearly won the league, and now you're going to believe. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, people are in good spirits. And then after that finished, they were chanting, we were top of the league, say we were top of the league. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, you could be, you could understand if people were, for example, not quite as a, a ebullient or as effusive about the season and the way it ended and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it just absolutely set the tone for the day. And it was the same inside the stadium. You know, just everybody was there to enjoy a good day of Arsenal. And that was obviously dependent on what we did on the pitch to some extent. But there were, it, it felt like, I don't know if it, it a determination to try in this last day of the season, despite the disappointment of what came before, to, um, what do you call it, condense all the fun and all the good bits that came until the wheels came off a little bit and experience that again before we took a break, reset, you know, uh, and go again. Uh, I don't know how that happens quite as organically as it does, but it really was obvious that people were out just to have a good time yesterday yeah i think determination is exactly right people were driven they they thought you know we are going to make a good day of this and obviously when the football goes as well as it did that helps but i i kind of believe that you know even had a victory been significantly less convincing or perhaps even had arsenal not won there were a lot of people who arrived in North London, in Islington, that day, that morning, that lunchtime, determined already to have a good time, kind of irrespective of anything else. And um, that really carried through. And, yeah, it it made for a a brilliant day and a great atmosphere. I mean, you mentioned the singing in the pubs beforehand. I saw plenty of that. When I got into the concourse, it was loud. It was as loud as it had been at any other point this season. Mm. I think back to the North London derby or the game against Man U where, you know, the atmosphere pre-game was making the hairs on the back of your neck stand up on end. It was as loud as that. I mean, coming home from the stadium last night, my ears were ringing. I, I really <laughs> do think that there were times 
on the final day that it was as raucous or as noisy as it had been all season long. Um, and I think that's huge credit to certainly the fans, of course, the fans, but also credit to the relationship that's been built. And yes, I, I, you know, Arsenal put out that video, didn't they, on the morning of the game with mm. a Mikel Arteta monologue, you know, about sense of connection and togetherness. What did you make of that? Did you think it, did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. I did. The the sort of uh, voiceover guy in me kind of wishes he was a little more fluent, but that's just me. Um, but as a thing, yeah, I got captured by it completely because, you know, I think what he's saying is completely genuine. It is mm -hmm. completely genuine and, and it does... Um, it does sum up what has been built. And I think built is the word I would use that it has taken a lot because he did after the game as well, when he was eventually allowed to speak, right? Yeah. Um, when, when his song died down sufficiently for him to be able to start talking and then everyone kind of hushed, uh, hushed down a little bit. He talked to, he said, thank you for your patience. Like an acknowledgement that, that what he has been trying to do has not been easy, and I think we all know that, and there have been ups and downs, and things have been done well, things have been done not so well, but to get to this point where you get that kind of reaction yesterday for the players, for the, uh, for the staff, for the manager, for the women's team, for the under-9s that came out, you know, yeah. all, all of that stuff takes building blocks and building blocks and building blocks and sometimes some of those blocks get kicked down along the way and you've got to go again and yeah I thought it was a really nice way to connect with the fans in a very real way ahead of the final game of the season I did too I did too and I thought it made me think you know football clubs put out a lot that can feel um, like it misses the mark Mm. or like it's not earned maybe but this felt right and it felt appropriate and I think for Arsenal to have got into a position where they can make a video like that and every bit of it rings true tells you that it's a club in quite a healthy position it was really interesting I was chatting to my brother who's a Chelsea fan as you know and he kind of he saw the video and he was like if my club put out something like this at this point in time it would be laughter. Mm. And he, he was like, I think we're years from being able to say these things and then feel true about yeah. connection and identity and belonging and togetherness. And it's take, and you're right. It's been built Arsenal. It has taken years, but I think when now we've got it, we've got to um, treasure it and capitalize on it because these things move in cycles and they're not, a given, you know, so I think it's a fantastic thing and it, it's what fueled the atmosphere on, on Sunday. No, I agree. And look, you know, it comes down ultimately to results. I think a big part of why that connection feels so strong is because we won a lot of football games and those two things go, go hand in hand, you know, mm -hmm. it is a two way street in that regard, but it's, it is very real and you can see how real it is and you can see the way that, Pretty much everybody in the in the stadium yesterday reacted to all the various bits and bobs that that, that happened in the game, the goals, the, the substitutions, the like even the bit 
after the final whistle where they said, you know, we're going to do the lap of appreciation. The women are going to come out first and then uh, did they do the under nines first and then the women came out or whatever way they did it, you know, and then the men will come out um, and they'll do their bit. And I would say in the row that I was in, maybe three people left and I was sitting right towards the end of the row by a by a, an exit and uh you know one of the guys who left was like 75 and his mate went yeah, he's seen it all before mate it doesn't you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh which is fair enough right but pretty much everybody stayed everybody yeah. stayed you know yeah apart from that one corner of the ground where the wolves fans had understandably uh, flooded out probably before full time even um, <laughs> oh, but they were they were they were quite funny because they were singing about how we fucked it up and the arsenal fans beside them were uh, responding with we nearly won the league and they were like oh, how do we what can we say now they've like <laughs> completely pulled the rug out from underneath us you know it's yeah. that kind of thing but everybody stayed around really yeah. as far as i could see it stayed for a long time and I'm sure we'll come on to it, but, you know, in the spirit of togetherness, I've never seen as many, I don't think, you know, I don't think I've ever seen as many people on the pitch for that final lap of appreciation as there were then. There were so many family members and staff members down there and kids, you know, it was a really, it looked a happy camp, which was great because you would understand if in the last few weeks it hadn't been particular. Sure. So, will we talk about the game? I guess we should talk about the game. We've done that Let's all do it, season. Yeah. So, was your enthusiasm uh, at all dampened by the news that Michael Letter named the same starting eleven that had previously lost to Nottingham Forest? I was a little bit surprised, I have to say. Mm. Were you? Yeah, I was. But then, perhaps I shouldn't have been. You know, we know that Michael Arteta is um, a man with the courage of his convictions. Mm. If he thinks something's a good idea he does tend to persist with it uh, perhaps longer than we might. Sure. But nevertheless, I was a bit surprised. Partly I thought somebody like Saka might not play, for example. He had been talked about, he had an injury problem. Um, I thought maybe him not playing might be a nice way of kind of excusing him from international duty. Perhaps we found a way to do that anyway. Uh, we shall see. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. But it's fair to say though that uh, it worked much, much better. Although in the early stages, I thought Wolves, I know it sounds mad given that they got absolutely battered on the day, but I thought Wolves started all right um, first 10 minutes or so. And yeah, they thinking, had a, oh, well, we can have some issues. Here. Yeah, they had a couple of, uh, maybe a corner and a free kick, was there, down, mm. down your end, uh, I think is where they were going. And yeah, look, they they were okay. They were okay. Um, yeah, given what, what Arted had said before the game about Trossard, about Reese Nelson, about... Um, sack guy was maybe expecting a change or two, but look, like you say, he is a single-minded guy. If he feels like that team can function, which is, which I guess is why he picked it against Nottingham Forest, um, maybe it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But look, there was a there was a story uh, on the day, separate from the final day of the season for for the team. It is the final game for Granite Xhaka. And I think yes. we were we were totally joking, maybe going, you know, it'd be amazing, like scores a couple of screamers, gets sent off, whatever, the big perfect shack away, uh, you know, to go out, et cetera, et cetera. And 
he's the guy that opens the scoring. Um, 11 minutes in, a good good cross from Gabriel Jesus. He headed home and like everyone was cheering the goal and then there was like an extra cheer when you realize it's Granit Xhaka. Yeah. I, I you know, I, it seemed to me like he was certainly making those runs into the box um, with maybe more determination than ever before. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he got on the end of that Jesus cross. I thought it was interesting, you know, we, we spoke, maybe it was last week or the week before, about Gabriel Jesus playing on the right-hand side for Manchester City so successfully. And I felt in this game, there was there were periods where he spent more time out there. Um, and, you know, great wing play from him here, like getting to the byline, lifting a perfect cross. Shaka actually, the head is pretty much straight at the keeper, but because of the quality of the cross and mm. the, the connection, uh, gets past him anyway. Um, then he gets another one. <laughs> yeah, and you know, know, right? yeah and it's like hang on a minute what is now happening? we're in like dreamland What's yeah happening? someone's writing this script somewhere it was really nice play from Saka I think um, little was it a back flick from Martin Odegaard and then yeah. the ball came to Sa- uh, to Saka rather and he, he just sort of slots it home 2-0 up after 14 minutes which I think is you know a nice place to be in any game but 2-0 up for uh, with two goals from from Saka um, I mean, you were thinking, "Wow, what is going to happen here? Is he going to get? Is he going to get the the hat trick? Imagine a Granit Xhaka hat trick on his day." I was wondering what might happen if if we got a penalty. Mm. Like, would they have given it to him? Would we have done what Erling Haaland did with uh, Gundogan that time, only for Granit Xhaka to cannon the the penalty back off the crossbar to spark a Wolves comeback and we lose 3-2. You know what I mean? That kind of, I, was, I was worried about that, like, not hugely, but that kind of thing. It was it was amazing for him to get the two, though. Yeah, I, I similarly thought, oh, penalty might be the way here. Um, he did have a chance, didn't he, for the Oh, hatchery. yeah. I mean, he whiffed at one in the, in the penalty box um, that he, you know, was on his left foot as well. I think he'll be absolutely gutted that he didn't make good contact with that there was a funny moment as well where he picked the ball up in midfield about 40 yards out and all you hear is like shoot <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know he didn't um thankfully listen i think maybe a hat trick would have been greedy i believe it's the first time he's ever scored two in a game in his entire career wow um including international games so you know i think he'll he'll take that um before he missed his chance, we did score a really, really lovely goal, though, through Bukayo Saka. Uh, yes. I mean, this is, I guess this is what separates very good players from top-class players, or however way you want to make that that distinction, because he didn't do anything hugely complicated. And I'm, I'm saying that, and I feel like an idiot in some ways saying that, Um. It wasn't like he tied the guy up in knots. It was just a touch and a finish, but it was the the quality of the touch and the quality of the finish, the quickness of thought and the quickness of action that the defender just could not live with. It's a really brilliant goal. Really brilliant. It was um, lovely. It was lovely build-up play. Mm. Trossard and Odegaard combining. I think those two have a really good connection. You know, I think they really enjoy uh, playing together. And you see that sometimes in their interaction. And then, yeah, Saka, I mean, for a guy who's maybe not been 
at his best and has been carrying an injury. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was excellent against Wolves and this moment was particularly good. It was, you know, as, as devastating as anything he's produced this season in terms of stopping the ball, sending the defender one way and bending it into the far corner. Really, really lovely goal. It really was. It really was. And what was noticeable in that first half, I don't know how much you noticed it from where you were uh, sitting, but I was right above the the Wolves' goal. So we could see that Gabriel Jesus was shifting wide quite mm. often. He was, you know, on the, on the right-hand side quite a bit, but also popped up on the left-hand side. And Saka spent, like at one point, he spent at least five or six minutes in the center forward position. I spotted that, yeah. And I was quite curious as to like, what is the, not necessarily what is the reason for it, but what was the cue? You know, what was the signal on the pitch that made them change that up? Was it a case that like, they want to see what, like, does the defender go with Saka? If he goes central, does Saka give the defender something different to think about? I mean, the Jesus uh, cross for the Shaka opener comes when he's on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was quite interesting to notice that interaction. It wasn't quite as pronounced the other way, but there were periods as well when Trossard was was in uh, was more central and, and Jesus was out left. Yeah, I find it interesting because we're more accustomed to seeing Jesus maybe go out to that left flank and swap with Martinelli. But uh, I think if it, if it was favouring one side in this game, it was the right. Saka spending more time in central areas. But yeah, I mean... He obviously has that capacity, Jesus, to play on either flank. And I think he finished the game uh, playing off the wing, didn't mm. he, once Eddie came on. So those kinds of rotations can lend some unpredictability to the Arsenal attack. Um, I thought there were some interesting things happening in our own half as well. You know, Thomas Partey playing that kind of right back, but not really right back, sort of doing the mm. Zinchenko-esque job uh, on the opposite flank. Um that worked much, much better than it did uh, at the City ground, that's for certain. Yeah. Um, Wolves made a couple of subs at half time. One of yeah. those subs gave Saka a right clatter quite early into the, into the second half. Um, he carried on, came off after about an hour. Hopefully, it's not any kind of significant injury, but hopefully, too, uh, with all due respect to um, my English friends, it's enough to keep him out of the uh, the interlull games or the international games that are coming up in June. It would be nice for him just to sit down now for a bit, no? Yes. I mean, you know, international football bodies won't uh, thank me for saying this, but I think a lot of people in club football are really exasperated at this these international fixtures. And I think even players, it's quite difficult to find the motivation and the energy to go and take part in them because you're sort of psychologically and physically exhausted from your domestic campaign. And also there's yeah. just that sense of it's over, you know, like you feel like when you finished a big job or any sort of task, you have that sort of release and you just want to go on your holidays and be done with it. And for these guys to have to come back and spend like 10 days with their international squads, to be honest, any Arsenal player that can get out of it, I mm. think it's a good thing for us. Yeah, it would be. would be. It is mad making them play all the way into June. They need holidays. You know, the schedule is is ridiculous as it is, and it's been a long, hard season for, for a lot of these players. Um, but, you know, 
they are at the mercy. This is what happens when you've got good players. They play for their countries and, and they do have to go away and fulfill these uh, these obligations. But we'll wait and see what happens there. Reese Nelson came on. Was that just before or after? I think Saka went off just after the Gabriel Jesus goal. Am I right? I think so. Uh, you may be. You may be. The events of uh, mm. the game are hazier than normal. Right. I seem to remember a really good pass from Jorginho. Correct. To it set. was a lovely pass to Trossard. He was very good yesterday, Jorginho. Yeah, he very was. Very good. And he played a lovely pass in the build-up to, I think, maybe the Saka goal. Similar ball, like, but it was out to the mm. right flank that time. His passing sort of through the lines was uh, really impressive, I think. He's very demanding. I think mm. of himself, I'm not necessarily talking about others, but he's constantly, you know, like we joked about last week, a bit of Flamini-esque pointing, but he he's also very demanding of himself. There are times where, you know, something didn't quite come off and he was really quite frustrated, but I thought he was really excellent uh, yeah, in that I, role. Yeah, I have to say I like him. Like, I think he's been a really good addition. And actually, I suppose in some ways the story of this goal was the January transfer window for Arsenal because it was mm. Jorginho's through ball to Trossard, who I thought was really dangerous as well. Um, lovely, another lovely clip cross to the back post. Um, and amid all the discussion of do Arsenal need a conventional centre forward, a classic number nine, there rises Gabriel Jesus at the back post to power yeah. one in. Yeah, good header, good movement. Um, and uh, another goal for him, which I think is... Is good, you know, when he looks back on his season, I think he will think he could have delivered more, but, you know, every goal counts. And, uh, you know, if that raises the bar that he's trying to beat for next season, then it's no bad thing at all. Um, other changes, of course. Smith Rowe came on for uh, Martin Odegaard and Fabio Vieira replaced Granite Xhaka for reasons I think we understand. It was about allowing Xhaka to have that that moment. It was quite... It was quite noticeable. He had a big hug with Gabriel Jesus. I was in where I was staying uh, over the weekend is the hotel where the, the team stay. Mm. And as I was going out on Sunday, as I was leaving, this was the time they were in the restaurant area. They were all having their, they're all having their meal. All the security guards are around keeping a very close eye on things. Um, Somebody, uh, I think it was Elliot, told me that that somebody got escorted off the premises uh, by the security guards at one point. I'm not quite sure what uh-huh. happened, but Xhaka and Jesus just walked right by me, you know, uh, deep in conversation. And I do wonder if maybe there's been a, a bit of a connection there between those two because he had a big hug with him uh, as he went off. Yeah, perhaps so. I mean, they're both part of that. Uh leadership group aren't they so mm. you know i can see you know they're both very demanding committed individuals um i could see that being the case it, it was a lovely moment i was stood in my season ticket the exact spot i was stood on when he was substituted against crystal palace in 2019 mm. and i couldn't help but think back to that moment and how awful it felt like you know I, there was all the anger at Shaka, but for me as well, I felt so uncomfortable in that stadium because it, there was so much negativity in the air. Um, and I thought, 
it, it felt like at a very unhealthy place. And then seeing him leave after his rehabilitation, the club and the connection with the supporters completely rebuilt, it was a poignant moment. That's a really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? That it was unhealthy. Um, remember, it being- was, and, and he was, he was. Uh, I guess Shaka, you know, I think it's possible to say he was sort of a um, lightning rod. A, yeah, I think in some so. Ways. I think he was kind of, you know, he wasn't perfect. He had his problems, and you know, he was symptomatic of some of our issues. But he was also a victim of our issues, and. Uh, he really has gone out on such a high. I think, obviously, you know, perhaps we could have won the league and that would have been the ultimate fairy tale. But in terms of his own personal contribution this season, I don't think it could have gone any better for him. No, and maybe we'll have some questions about uh, that in in a bit more detail. Um, what was the other sub? Or Kivior scored his first Arsenal goal. Um, yes, I don't think... Uh, it's not going to win goal of the season, is it? no. I don't think Jose Sarr will reflect too kindly on that one, too fondly rather. Although he did make a brilliant save from Trossard. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He really hit, hit that, didn't he? so hard. <laughs> he really hit that, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got great technique. I think he's um, I think he's been a brilliant addition as well. And yeah, but this one was a bit of a mess. He sort of, you know, fumbled it over the line. But I don't think he will be complaining. First Arsenal goal. No, no. doesn't matter how they go in, particularly if you're a centre-half. You know, when, when they exactly. go in the back of the net, you are delighted. Um, so, yeah, good for him. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he progresses next season and, and everything else. Could have been six. There was a chance for Eddie and Keddie. He didn't quite get on the end of it. The guy next to me uh, in the stadium had, had a bet on 6 nil, <laughs> And... Uh, let me tell you, it, it, honestly, you would have thought we were playing for the title still, the way that he was uh, behaving in that last 10 minutes. <laughs> he was a desperate man. Get uh, everyone forward. Get the goalkeeper yeah, up for the he, last he corner of the game. He did shout for Ramsdale to come up for a corner <laughs> at one point. But if he'd known, maybe he would have. If he'd known. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. He was having a good time. I did. I mm. think after the fourth and fifth goals went in, I noticed him uh, turning to the Wolves fans and giving them the old West Brom boing boing celebration just to to rile them up with some black country rivalry there was a there's a lovely little moment I don't know if you were able to see it from where you were but the ball came it was quite late in the game the ball came to Ben White and he took a bad touch and it went out for a Wolves throw in 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 our half and he was you know a little bit annoyed at himself and the ball boy was going to get the ball to throw it to the Wolves player. There was one of the balls on the little, what do you call it? Little, uh, like a, yeah. a little like plinth. Yeah, little cones the, or whatever because it contains yeah. the ball. So he was about to get the ball um, off the plinth because the other ball was going a little bit farther away. And as he's running back onto the pitch, Ben White just kicked that ball away. <laughs> <laughs> And the ball boy didn't know which ball to go for. Not that Wolves were going to make it back at any point, but that was another nice little piece of Ben White. So nonsense. needless at three yeah. or four nil. But <laughs> I think it was. I think it was probably four or five um, nil at that point. Worth pointing out while we're on this, we did have a goal disallowed for Ben White, um, just barging into the goal. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the replay. I haven't seen match of the day yet or anything like that. So, um, well, I hadn't seen it either. But I was speaking to Clive uh, in the pub after the game, and I was like, "Oh, what was that?" Actually, down uh, just disallowed for and he said 
I'll tell you this, Ben White was stood near their goalkeeper. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, I think we've seen that a few times this season. You know, um, maybe Ben White in the in the 90s, the early 2000s would have been the, the fucking best guy to have uh, yeah. in your team. Now, everything that he tries to do, I mean, maybe he's just going to have to master the subtle art of fouling the goalkeeper without making it look like he's doing it. I mean, he's really tried. I the back time him. where he held that guy's hand? Yes, <laughs> tenderly holding the hand of the goalkeeper. Um, yeah, maybe that's part and parcel of what they'll get up to in pre-season, you know? Sure, that, that, that's mm. what the set-piece coach is really going to focus on, I yeah, think, yeah, over yeah. the summer. Now, we, we talked about this a little bit on, on Saturday night, but I think it's worth talking about again. Even though this was, you know, in the overall, the grand scheme of things, not the most important game that we have played this season, not the most important three points that we've won this season, but it does feel to me, and I know you talked about this, so I know how you feel about it, but it really felt like we needed to win this for all kinds of reasons on the final day to sort of cap off what has been a great season and to to sort of continue or, or make this the point from which we try and kick on. I don't just mean the Wolves game. I sort of mean f- finishing on a positive note after the season we've had feels like a. we talked about building, didn't we? We talked about building blocks, that maybe this is just another little bit of a building block as we, as we look ahead to next season. Yeah, I think it was vitally important. Um, it may not have meant anything in terms of our league position, but I think it meant an awful lot in terms of morale and momentum and how we as fans feel for the next two months, you know, while there isn't a game. Um, so I think it was important. And I think, I think Mikel Arteta and I think the players will have taken a great deal from it. I think it will have been great affirmation for them, particularly the reception they received. Um, I think it will hopefully drive them on. Uh, to come back next season. We saw this season the benefit that some pain can bring. Arsenal showed that they took some pain and they used it to propel them to greater heights. Uh, Hopefully, a similar thing could happen next season. Yes, I hope so. And I think as well, we talked last week about the potential maximum points for for Arsenal and Manchester City. I don't want to shock you here. But we got our numbers wrong. Well, I, for one, can't believe it. It's crazy, I know, given how gifted we are at the old maths, mathematics, and all the rest of it. We got our numbers completely wrong. Um, But I think our general point was that, you know, we could end up quite a bit behind Manchester City. And I don't expect anybody to take any comfort in this. But when you look at the league table, the final league table... um, we finished with 84 points. They finished with 89. Their goal difference is significantly better. It's 16 better than us. Um, and the difference they is... They also beat us twice. They beat us twice. That's true. Um, you know, they Somebody drew- said, I don't know if this is correct, and obviously our maths is so bad that there's no way we could possibly tell you. But somebody said that if you discount the City games, if you look at results against the other... Uh, 18 teams in the league, Arsenal achieved better results against those 18 teams than Manchester City. Wow. Okay. Um, And yet, lost the league. And yet, you know, like 
it's not a new observation to say that those games against Manchester City are the ones that you really need to you really need to focus on. Um, you know, I, I've sort of come to terms with the way the season has ended. Mm. I do just me. I'm not saying anybody else needs to or should. I feel a bit better that it's only five points. I feel like that's more of a reflection of the season than potentially them finishing 10 points ahead or whatever it could have been. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like it It just... If you're looking to improve next season, if you're looking to 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 harness what could have been, the fact that it was close could well be a small motivating factor for these players. I think it could be a big one. I think it could be a big one. Mm. And it shows you, by the way... <laughs> how much difference a positive result in a game against Man City would make. Mm. Um, you know, we spoke about that a bit at Union Chapel, but that's one of the things that we really have to look at doing. We've we've, we've had moments against them in the home games where it's looked like it might go away and it hasn't. Um, that's one of the big giants we're sort of still to slay. Am I stupid to to think that if we had just beaten Manchester City once, we'd have won the title? Um, like if we'd beaten oh, them, Andrew, our maths is too bad. I know, but if we'd beaten them once, we'd, we'd have, have three eight, more points. eighty-seven, and they'd have eighty-six. Yeah, or am I, I just thinking right. about that wrong? Is there some kind of fucking equation or quadratic bullshit? No, no, I think that is right. I think that's why they call them six pointers. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I now that you've told, said we were wrong last week, I daren't say. What we could say is it was close. Um, mm. And also what's hard about this, by the way, is that obviously City dropped uh, what five points in their final two league games and they had already won the title by then. So yeah. would they have won those games at a canter and steamrolled those opposition in the same way they did pretty much everybody else had they needed to? Mm. Maybe. I mean, it certainly hasn't been... You know Pep's strongest eleven, um, with you know the FA Cup final on the horizon and the Champions League final beyond that. Haaland didn't play against Brentford, for example. Mm. But equally, that they were kind of always their hardest games, and that was why I was so desperate for us to take it to the final week because then you've got the pressure as well of them needing to do it, and you never know how that might impact mm. them. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, we'll, I, I, I we'll never know. Yeah, I didn't take into account all that other stuff, you know, um, that that has a, an impact on results and factors into how a season plays out. You know, in the final grand scheme of things, you can look at it in, in that very simplistic way, I guess, but it's probably not really. Um, well, like that, the records will show five points, you know. Well, that's um, true. That's true. But I, I think that does happen. You know, I think teams win leagues and then. Their pace slows. Um, you know, even the Invincibles, I remember us sort of, you know, getting a few scruffy draws to, to complete the unbeaten record, you know. Wasn't there like a really, was it Birmingham or something was a nil-nil? Yeah, maybe Portsmouth or uh, I think there was a game at Fulham. Oh, there were a few. Fulham like, was a one nil because that was the that was the mistake by Van der Sar. Reyes closed him down. Was Portsmouth it? was a one one. Birmingham was a nil nil. A nil yeah. nil against Stan Lazaridis's Birmingham. 
Wow. Um, but it's listen, it's a, an extraordinary season. Mm. I know that, you know, people will have grievances over the fact that we didn't win the league. And I think there are really, you know, justifiable uh, things to kind of look at and think we could do better. But winning 26 of 38 games is absolutely outstanding. Um, so, yeah, credit to the team for that. 84 points, a very respectable tally. Yeah. So, all in all, a positive uh, positive way to end the season? Um, yeah, it really was. Mm. It really was. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my day out. It was reminiscent in some ways of last season, you know? Yeah. Where we had a great day out against Everton um, and, you know, laid a few... So what's the word? Goes to rest, I yeah. suppose. You know, it'd been a difficult period and then at least we finished on a high and that seemed to set us up great for pre-season and the season to come. So let's hope that can happen again. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, any thoughts on... I don't know what I was going to ask you there. Any? I was like right there and then it's gone. I was going to say, any Maybe thoughts on... Any thoughts on the whole post-game... Uh, pageantry yeah that wasn't it but like do you have okay. any thoughts on that <laughs> <laughs> I got some thoughts uh, yeah I, I thought it was great that the women got recognition um, I spoke about the video that Arsenal did pre-game and one of the mm. most compelling and positive things about that was that the way it sort of gave equal billing to the achievements of the men and women's team this season. And obviously their season finished against Aston Villa the day before, mm. Warren Wood. But it was nice that they got to come down and share in that moment um, at the Emirates. After all, they sold they out that stage. They did. Uh, and they have a trophy to their name this season. They do. You know, as much as and this evolved. was very funny, actually. <laughs> Someone I know was in the upper tier. And you know how the Emirates... Um, the Emirates uh, screens are right up in the corner. Mm. And so they sent me a picture saying, what? Has this happened by mistake? And it was just of the bottom half of the screen and you could just see the phrase champions uh, <laughs> while they were waiting for the teams to come out for lap appreciation. It looked like something Arsenal had kind of queued up months in advance oh, and no. forgotten to cancel. You pressed the wrong button. It's the not champions one you should press. <laughs> but... For, from my lower vantage point, you could see that it, it mm. did indeed say Conti Cup champions. Um, any any insights into the waving styles of any who of the players? Sad. Who, who looks sad? Who had a... Uh, uh, Rob uh, Holding uh, was out in front. With, with KT. Yeah. But Rob was like, when it started, he was the first one. And there was like... It's not a big gap, but maybe 10 yards between him and, and everyone else. Yeah, he was actually the first out of the tunnel, wasn't he, I think? Mm. Um, I, it's so difficult to know. This this is my guesswork. I mean, Shaka, I think we know, right? I enjoyed Mikel Arteta playing Dharma as he has in press <laughs> conferences all season long. Um, That's news to me. <laughs> news to him, sure. Uh, but I think... The writing is on the wall there. I think it looks like Granite's mind is certainly made up. Um, beyond that, there was, at the North Bank where I was, there was a real rousing chorus of one Kieran Tierney. And Kieran Tierney came, on, came over and kind of 
saluted and waved and mm. took a moment. And actually, Rob Holding sort of slightly stood back from Tierney in that moment. And it was kind of like, you have this, you know? And, yeah. Um, certainly those fans were operating under the impression that it might be the last time they see him. Kieran Tierney, we want you to stay. There was a chorus of that as well. Right. Um, holding, yeah, I, I couldn't say. I mean, I agree with you. He was with Tierney, and, but they're, you know, they're great pals, so... Who knows? Um, other than that, there was no one really that I thought. It was interesting watching Saliba, I have to say, uh, mobile, moving around, walking around the pitch, mm. being serenaded with his song and uh, Gabriel Martinelli kind of urging him to enjoy it and sort of pointing at him throughout. Yeah, he was doing the, so, the bit of we're, we're not worthy and stuff like that. He was doing it at Saliba, who just sort of yeah. like, was laughing. But he doesn't it give a lot a away, William Saliba, does he? He's but a he, very cool character. He is. He didn't look unhappy or anything. No. I think he looked quite happy going around. So who knows? Fingers, Fingers crossed, crossed that might be a good omen. Other than that, no, I mean, as I say, I was just struck by the number of family who came down to be part of it. Mm. Um, a few very cute kids. Uh, Gabriel Jesus's um, little girl. She's she's just. I know children who are very young are small, but <laughs> she just seemed impossibly small. I don't quite know how she was that small she, and yeah, running around. I think she was born last summer because I remember when he was arriving at the club talking about how that had been part of his adaptation and acclimatization mm. to the move and everything. Is that he was also caring for a, you know, a young daughter. Um, Gabrielle, big Gabby, uh, had his young daughter out there as well. And, and Zinchenko, who uh, I think, yeah, I think it was his daughter who was kind of uh, taking shots at the North Bank goal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard the celebrations. <laughs> yeah, some raucous celebrations. So that was all very wholesome, you know, and they played North London forever. They did a big group family photo. It was... Um, they were nice scenes, and of course they could have been nicer. But I really strongly believe that this team deserved it, and I think we as fans deserved to have a good day. It felt really good. I have to be honest. Like It's really sad we didn't win the Premier League, and I'm sure I would have loved to have won a cup or something. But I honestly look back on it and feel like, wow, that was a great season. Like Why, do, why am I a football fan? So I can enjoy watching my team, be proud of them, uh, have a great time going to games or watching games on TV. Mm. Like I, I got all that. And like professionally, I got to write about a really captivating team and manager and talk about them here with you. I had a great time. I'm not saying everyone has to feel that way about it. But for me, this is a season that I will always remember really, really fondly. I I completely agree. I think, you know, I've been doing Arsblog for over 20 years now. And I I think this could be one of the most fun seasons I've ever had. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't as in-depth, you know, back in 2003-04 when we last won the title. There was no podcast. You know, there wasn't quite the, the sort of blanket coverage that you get now across the club. You know, when you're talking about 
the club as a whole, but the men, the women, the youth teams, all of that kind of stuff, it, you know, it, which isn't to say anything other than the Invincible season was incredible and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of enjoyment was had. But for me, as somebody who gets up and writes about Arsenal and writes about this team every single day, and talks about it on these podcasts with you and the other guests who are very kind to come on, it has been a huge amount of fun. And the the sort of moments where you think you the belief hits you or you're you're imbued with belief by what you've seen on the pitch, I think those are important. I don't know. It's just like oh this could happen. I mean, I told this story on stage on Saturday night, where I got to the hotel, like having witnessed maybe it was the Emmy Martinez stuff that was so funny. I think I, having already booked my hotel from Friday to Monday, I said, you know what I'll do? Just, I'll just, you know, I'll book it till the Tuesday, just in case, you know, there's the parade. And then completely forgot that I'd done that and didn't change my booking and got to the hotel on Friday. And they said, oh, Mr. Mangan, you're with us for four nights. You're here till Tuesday. I was like, um, no, actually. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that, that thing that makes you do that is a consequence of what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and what, what's going on, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch and all the rest of it. And I wouldn't fucking change it. Why not? It was, it was a lot of fun and I hope we can just go better again next season and keep improving and keep, keep developing because, um, you know, there's a lot of potential here and I think some of it is untapped. So let's hope we can, let's hope we can go better next year. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, like, yeah, I said this on my post-match video, so apologies if you've seen it, but when I was thinking about the title and where it would weigh for me, I think because of, you know, doing these podcasts, because of being a bit older, going to more games, I think this title would have meant maybe more to me than any other. And mm. the funny thing is, even though we didn't win the league, I still feel like this season means a great deal. And something else that occurred to me over the weekend, meeting all the people we met and chatting to people at the live pod, although we may find this difficult because we're obviously impossibly old, <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of Arsenal fans who don't remember the Invincibles or yes. certainly didn't see them regularly. You know? Yeah, I actually spoke to somebody upstairs in the in the bar. I apologize, I can't remember the name, but you know, it was that like, thank you, you know, for acknowledging the fact that not everyone remembers. 2003, yeah. 2004, because, you know, that's coming up, going to be 20 years. Exactly. You know what I mean? Man, so it's there's a long time. Like, there's a that, new there's generation a... of fans who've got no frame of reference for all that beyond, you know, the, the stuff you sort of, um, uh, as you're learning about your football club and you look back and all that stuff and, you know, but, but as an actual experience, it's not there. No. And, you know, there's a generation or two who don't remember that. Some who don't remember coming close in 08 or whatever it might be. So I think mm. this will be a really formative season for a lot of Arsenal fans. A lot of Arsenal fans who've been there, done it, seen it all, have told me, you know what, this has been a great season and I'll always remember it. But I think for those young fans, people sort of getting into the game, like I think we've locked in a, a whole generation of Arsenal fans for life probably in the last eight months. Or so. 100%. 100%. And, and I, really I think that's thing. across the board as well. 
I think that's you know true of of the women's team also. That well, this is, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the numbers for a start. Mm. But I'll tell you this. Obviously, my son was born two months ago. One of the first things I did put him on the season ticket waiting list. Um, <laughs> he is number ninety. 1,000 and something. And I would bet that it's a terrible season to have been born <laughs> put on that season ticket wait list. I would bet probably, I would reckon, I could say could be 10, 20,000 people have been added this season alone. Mm, maybe so. Um, because people want to watch this team and want to be part of what's happening at this club. Uh, so yeah, it's an incredibly exciting time and, uh, I, like I say, I, I, yeah, I've loved it. And thanks to everyone who's listened yes. for being part of it because, you know, it, it's, uh, I get to relive it all. You know, I get to experience it all in the moment and then I get to relive it all doing stuff like this. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's I mean, that's a big part of the fun. That is true, actually. Before we go into part two, that is really true, is the idea that, you know, you can watch a game of football on a Saturday and you can experience everything that the football game gives you or takes away, whatever it might be. But mostly this season, it has given us a lot. And then we have the absolute privilege of sitting here and reliving it and finding new angles and new depths or things, you know, the, the way to look at something um, that sort of heightens the experience that you've already had. And, you know, we're very, um, very lucky to be able to do what we do. And we're very lucky that, you know, all the people who listen to this, um, you know, stick with us through good times and bad, it's fair to say. Um, so we're very grateful and we're very happy that we've been able to bring you for the most part this season, many, many, many goodly mornings. Um, and we just need a few more next season uh, and the job's OXO. So there you go. Um Let's take a little break here. Uh, we do we do have questions, so we'll come back with those and more in part two right after this. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show uh, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Let me ask you the first one, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, a couple of these from uh, the Discord. Hail and... Oh, sorry, not go ahead. Let's do this. Ah, you ruined it. Damn it, damn it. We had somebody who got a question with, let's do this. And I was going to ask. It's happening. It is happening. I mean, to be fair, you tried to make it happen on Saturday as well. Uh, I feel like your web. Did <laughs> I you didn't try to make it happen. It happened. Did you, did, let me ask you this. Did you get drunkenly 
uh, let's do this tattoo somewhere, and now you feel like you need to make this happen to justify that? No comment. Okay. Hailand <laughs> Harula says, uh, goodly day. Haven't had a question answered all season. Does this mean relegation to the lower division sides podcast? Last minute, last day screamer into the top corner like Granit Xhaka. He said, uh, I'm trying three questions, but we're not answering three. We're answering one or going to try and answer one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He says, we went the whole season without a red card. Does credit go to the coaches for this turnaround? And John Hussain says, goodly afternoon. How have we gone all season without a single red card? That's mad, isn't it? We love we we used to get loads of those. We fucking love a red card at this football club. Loved them. I know. Granite Shack has scored nine goals and got zero red cards. Um I do you think it was something that was addressed specifically because we did have an issue. Look, I I think quality of player and control of games perhaps makes a little bit of difference. Control is key, right? Like if you're if the game is in your control, then the desperate decisions that lead to mm. bookings and sendings off are less liable to happen. Yeah. But yeah. I think Arteta showed at times that he had learned something. Like I remember, was it Man U? He took Ben White off at halftime on a booking for Tommy Asu. Yes, yes. Um, I think there were there were a couple of other occasions like that where he protected a player on a yellow card. Um mm. I remember in the first half of the season, we had a number of players who got close to a ban for five bookings. Do you remember there was that period where Saliba, Saka and Gabriel Jesus were all potentially at risk of missing a game. Mm. Uh, And we were sort of going game by game thinking, hope these guys don't get booked. And they managed to sort of manage that scenario very well as well. I don't think we lost any of them. I'd be really curious as to like how that was addressed, if at all, because you don't want to inhibit no. a player when, you know, particularly a defender. Like, you know, if a defender gets booked after half an hour, you've got to manage your own game differently, right? You've got to manage that situation. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a question of managing that situation across a number of games. I don't know. But, yeah, there was that big maybe, worry. Maybe it's blind luck. Who knows? But... I tell you, that is an interesting thing, actually. I, I, Jesus was booked four times in the first half of the season. It's two in the second half. Well, maybe that's not such a big And difference. one of them was getting booked for being hauled back when he should have had a penalty against yeah, Nottingham yeah, Forest. Forest. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's I, some I nonsense. I only flagged that just because I, I have wondered about the sort of change in his physicality between first mm. and second half, pre and post injury. You know, that was a real hallmark of, the first half of the campaign was him in these jewels. Um, But on the broader point, yeah, I think fair play to the staff. Probably what underpins it is controlling games, possession, territory, being the team in front, not being on a knife edge, desperate. Chasing uh, back towards your own goal all the time. Chasing back, exactly. All the things that lead to... uh, to bookings yeah. um, but it's it's uh, it's great and it needs to stay that way I mean fair play to Saliba no bookings at all in the last 12 games it's um, how did he do it I don't know amazing um, what about this mm. from David O'Leary 
on the Discord. Did you know he was a member? Uh, yeah, I did. You know, we DM a lot, talk about Ireland, that kind of thing. I would have thought so. Yeah. yeah. So he says, here's what I've been debating. City grew into the season and they peaked at the right time. We destroyed Sevilla 6-0 in pre-season and even clopped off this cap at that one. Do you think we hit the ground running too early and in effect blew up to coin the horse racing term, to use the horse racing term? City were average for a long time, but now look amazing. And our race has been over for weeks. Can we learn from this next season as the same effectively happened last season too? Yes, we can learn. We have to learn to keep running. I don't mind. we start worse? No, we should start the same way because that was good. And then I think we should continue running all the way to the end. Um, I, I do get the horse racing analogy. You know, the horse that's way out in front all of a sudden gets knackered and some guy just, you know, gives his horse a shot of something in the arse and it, you know, it, it finishes very strongly. Um, I mean, I do think it all comes back to the conversation we've had many times about depth and the ability to deal with pressure situations, particularly in the last part of the season when there is an extra psychological element to it. But I think yeah. mostly it is physical. I do think mostly it is physical. Do you? I do, yeah, I do. Um, I, I think we... We've just been a little bit too reliant on too small a group of players to be able to maintain the physical control that we had over many games this season. You know, I think there was... Um, maybe it bears out in more statistical uh, analysis of our season, and I hope somebody maybe does it, but I do wonder if in the last six weeks, for example... I'd love to know our running numbers, like how, what was our distance covered in games in comparison to some of the games at the start of the season? How many challenges were we making? How many, you know, to coin, not to coin an Arteta-ism, but to use uh, a phrase that he likes uh, to use a lot is like, how many jewels were we winning? How many jewels were we losing? I think that kind of analysis would be really, really interesting. But from a sort of mile-high perspective, it just feels to me like, Look, everyone will say, or have a different opinion. There were mental aspects. People will talk about how we choked and blah, blah, blah. But I just think if you're 2 or 3% off your best physical level in this league, you can get punished. And I think that's a consequence of not having a squad that's as deep as we would like. And I think that's where we need to go next, as we've talked about quite a lot. So... Um, yeah, to go back to the question, I think start running straight away and keep running until you cross the line. That's that's it. Do you know, I think there's an interesting fact about the season that has been a little bit absent in analysis of title race of late, mm. which is that it wasn't possible to come out the blocks flying and keep running until the end of this season. It wasn't possible because there was a six-week gap and That's, a World Cup. That is very true. That is very true. And we lost our main striker. Um, we lost our main striker in that break. And one of our... I'd have to go back and just look at our results after the World Cup. I think they were pretty good. 
Um, yeah, they were. They, they, listen, they we, were, we were right. We had the beat West Ham, beat wobble up with um, Everton. Uh, was when was that? That was in February. February, so, early yeah. February. But you know, someone so like getting, Saliba, January. Well, someone like Saliba, for example, took a little while to get going again after the World Cup because he didn't play. Like his momentum. Uh, I think it's true of guys who are kind of, you know, units, the big guys. You know, yeah. when you get the momentum going, it's all great. But as soon as there's a little bit of a halt in that momentum, you've got to, like driving a really old Volvo. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like when I, when I stopped doing my couch to 5K, it's a long <laughs> way back, you know? Yeah, that's um, it. That's a perfect analogy. Thank you. But I do think that that may have been a factor. You know, I, I, I know that we, we were all right after the World Cup. We got plenty of good results. But had it just been one race all the way through, had we been able to continue the momentum that we had built by Boxing Day, mm. um, sorry, well before Boxing Day in November, uh, maybe we would have picked up the five points that ultimately proved to be the difference. I don't know. But I do think this was a unique season and City kind of were able to sort of dispense with the first half of their season and come back and look quite a different team. I also think, sorry, uh, I think the suggestion that City were average doesn't really stack up for me. They were good. They just weren't as quite as good as us, but by any normal standards, they were good. They were good. They just had some silly results, you know, um, so a couple of sort of quite freakish games where they drop points you, you wouldn't expect them to. Um, but yeah, so, so that's one part of it. I think I think that people don't talk enough about the fact that this was literally a season of two halves. Mm. Um the second part of it is, I think that I, I take what you're saying about the physical point, and I think there's definitely something to that. I think there is a psychological component as well. And I'm going to borrow from one of our friends on the Arsenal Vision podcast, Paul, who I think spoke about it very well. He talked about it in terms of tennis. You know, when you get to your first Grand Slam final and you win the first two sets, but then you get tight because it's the final set and you're playing for the trophy and you can't stay loose. And I think when I look at some of the mistakes we made, putting a penalty six yards wide of the post or passing it straight to a striker, I don't think that's physical. I think there's a tightness there. You know, I think there is a psychological pressure that sure. we're wrestling with too but but um, what about the what about the idea if we're using that that comparison i think it's a very interesting one like if you're fucking steve tennis right and you're the yeah. young up-and-comer and you are playing in that grand fan, slam clearly. final yeah clearly um but you're playing i don't know me in the final yeah do i transmit the same aura of uh, tightness do i do I cause you to be as tight in that third set if you were playing uh, no, Roger we're, Federer? We're if you're yeah, playing we're Federer, up against you know Federer, what I mean? Djokovic, you know, yeah. we're up against the very, very best, Nadal, whoever it might be, and and so it's natural that you that that tightness creeps in. I think it's normal. 
Uh, and I think you can only sort of get there by learning to live with it, you know, to by experiencing it. I think that's what we have to hope that this experience of being in this fight with City, this dog fight, is something that we go, whoa, wow, that was a lot, you know, um, it didn't all work out. But when we next get there, we're able to yeah. cope better. And, and, and just the final point is, I do think, listen, Gary Neville has been wrong about a lot. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But if there is something, I, I think, I think something where I agree with him, again, with this sort of psychological um, facet in mind, is that he's very firm that the run-in is its own thing. And I think that may be true. Like, I think it may be the case that the first 28 games of the season are one thing, and those last 10, if you're playing for the title or if you're playing for relegation are kind of distinct and require, um, I don't know, something slightly different of you. Uh, and maybe you have to... Mm. It's it's like a... I've heard Clive sort of say it, like, do we need to talk about it like the playoffs in NBA like, or in other American sports? They're, they are, they're quite crazy those last few games of the season. Look at the other results in this league across this time. It's not just Arsenal losing games. It's Everton going to Brighton and winning 5-1. It's teams in the relegation battle picking up points you'd never normally expect them to. What's happened up until the end of March is kind of one thing. And then in the final couple of months, things do go a bit weird. And I think that we need to show that we can live with Mm. that and handle it and come out on top. Yeah, when stakes are high, I think there is obviously a psychological aspect to it. You know, it's an imperfect example, but look at how uh, someone like Leicester, now relegated a couple of seasons in a row, were in commanding position to finish in the top four and on both occasions, uh, you know, scuttered themselves and and Mm -hmm. ended up finishing outside the top four. So I think there is obviously something to that. Let's... I have this one from a couple of people who ask a question like this. Jad on the Discord says, Goodly afternoon, guys. Uh, Over his tenure, I've really grown to have a deep connection and love towards Mikel Arteta, but I never quite realized how many people also share that and feel that strongly towards him. I obviously know that most, if not all, of the supporters believe and trust him, but seeing the crowd reaction to him trying to give his speech after the game on, on Saturday or on Sunday took me by surprise. Uh, I'm intrigued to know whether you were also surprised by that reaction. And Alistair Wood, Ali Boy 82 said, I was lucky enough to be in the ground for the post-match appreciations. While I thought Mikel Arteta would be well-received, well-deserved, I was a bit surprised at how loud and sustained his ovation was. Were you also surprised? Yeah, it was great to see Ali, by the way. I bumped into him in the pub after the game, which was lovely. I, um, I have to say, I was a bit surprised. It was... Deafening. I mean, he literally mm. couldn't get his words out. No. And no. <laughs> I wasn't there the day that uh, Arsene Wenger did farewell to Arsenal. But I would imagine, <laughs> I would genuinely imagine that this reception McLarteta got on the fun day yesterday was up there in terms of I, yeah. how the Emirates has received a I, I was there for the Arsene right. Wenger one. 
it was different in that、mm. it was much more stage managed. Right. It felt like it needed to be after everything that had happened and all the water under the bridge and everything else. It needed to be. I don't know if controlled is the right way, but there was a sort of a sense that everything should be polite, and I don't know、mm. if that gives you the same passion. Yeah, polite is、like. probably a good word. Um, but it was it was kind of extraordinary in a season where, like, if we had won the title, James, I don't know that it would have been that much different. That's how I feel. I I feel exactly the same. I I came out of that stadium and I was like, I mean, obviously it would be different, and it would be different in the record books, and it would be. Maybe it would be better still, but it, it it didn't feel like we'd failed yesterday. That's for sure.、Mm. Um, but he, he, say and saying that, I, I think I was a bit surprised by quite how positive the reception was. I thought it'd be, you know, I thought it'd be like slap on the back. Well done, guys. You, you know, you had a good season. But it was like an outpouring. It really was like vociferous love. I I think it's part. I think it's just part of whatever was happening on、yeah. the day. And we talked about it in the first half. Where, that determination. Yeah, almost. <laughs> through. Almost, or it was just you know the icing on the cake of that you know particular. Uh, emotional state that a lot of people were in, having gone out and left their houses and put their sunglasses on and said, "I'm going to have a fucking good day today at Arsenal." And they had a great day before they went into the ground. They had a great day as we spanked five past Wolves. And I think then there was a there was a, a determination or whatever it might be to sort of recognise the、uh, the team and the manager for. What we've enjoyed this season, so I think it's just sort of a natural follow-on from everything that came before. And I think there was something quite defiant about it as well. You know, some of the narrative around Arsenal、mm. has been that they're butlers, or you know, they should maybe be less than proud of what they've done. And I think there's a resistance to that, rightly, among、mm. the supporters. I also think it's about. I, I wondered, like, to what extent it's about the fact that it was. In the stadium, and it was between the ma- the fans in the stadium and the manager. Like it, he has forged such a special connection、um, across the club in terms of like the atmosphere this season. It, I think it was as much kind of a celebration of that、mm. and a reinstatement of it, a, an affirmment of like this is what we do now. We get behind you and we make noise. As much as it was sort of personally about Mikel,、um, but listen, yeah, he's clearly held in very, very high regard at、mm, the present point in time, for sure.、Um, let's have another question.、Um, what about this? Okay, well, three sample on Twitter says simple one: Why on earth is Granite Shaka leaving? Uh, and to that end, two、uh, Ks says,、uh, "Goodly morning. Who's had the better redemption arc, Granite Shaka or Rob Holding's hairline?" 
Well, Rob Holdings Airline is is still very, very impressive. Very yeah. impressive. It's Maybe that's why he was at the front back. of the lap of honor, just to make sure we could all see his beautiful flying locks. <laughs> but he should have should have been in, you know, wearing a t shirt advertising, you know. There was a great there's a I don't know if it's still there. I think it's still there. There's a sign uh, in Dublin just off Dame Street. Um I think it could have been for could have been for a wig shop, I'm not a hundred percent. But there was a sort of neon sign, it just says, Why go bald? Just off Dame Street on Dublin. <laughs> the universe I've just Googled it. Universal hair and scalp clinic. Why go bald? Why go bald? Why the fuck not, guys? That's what I say. Or you don't do it on purpose. That's all I can tell you. There are the biological reasons. I decided to go bald. Yeah. Fuck you, hair. I don't need you. You can just (laughs) fall out. My follicles can get smaller every day. Um, And it's the picture just of Rob Holding, yeah? Yeah, it is. It's Rob Holding. It's basically a man with, like, shooty hair out of his eyes. Anyway... The granite jacket. What was why the granite, granite jacket? Why, why, why is granite jacket? Why is granite jacket leaving? Because he's thirty. Because I think when he, when you're that age, you want a long, a longer contract at a football club. And I think there were maybe already signs this season that Mikel Arteta was thinking about life without granite jacket. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the changes he made. Not saying they worked, but he was certainly prepared to try them. You know, starting Fabio Vieira, uh, Xhaka coming off in games when very often that, you know, he never did really. Xhaka was a 90-minute guy pretty much every week. Um, so I think that maybe there's a little bit of writing on the wall there in, in the sense that is he going to get the long-term contract he wants at Arsenal? No. If it's on offer from another club, which also suits his home life, his family life or whatever it is, it's probably a very attractive proposition for him. I think, you know, another aspect is he's going to work for uh, another Basque coach in Xavi Alonso. Yeah. At Bayer Leverkusen. Um, if he feels like Mikel Arteta got more out of him as a player, maybe he feels like Xavi Alonso could give him something different in the, in the final stages of his career. So I think it, it just boils down to it being the right time for him to make a move and for the club it's either take some money now or like, I don't think they'd be averse to hanging on to Granit Xhaka but it's a question of how do you manage your rebuild do you need to prioritize a few transfer fees here and there um, maybe he feels like you know his work here my work here is done Arsenal are back in the Champions League. I think it's just a combination of all of those things. I don't know if you remember, but this time last season or or slightly over a year ago, Mm. I kind of had a a pet theory that if Arsenal reached the top four, he would go. Uh, I sort of feel it's been a bit of a personal mission of his. I think he's aware of basically the fact that since he's arrived at the club, we've been out of the Champions League. Uh, and I think he was very determined to restore Arsenal to that competition. And I think he's done Mikel Teta. Well, he certainly did him sort of one big solid when he asked him to stay mm. when he first came into the club. 
And I think there's probably a very good understanding between them and probably has been an understanding for some time that there would be a point where Granite would want to go back to Germany where he played for much of Gladbach before and was very happy. I think it's probably a family move as well. Mm. I'm sure there's a big personal element to it. Um, he did play in the Champions League. Yeah, I'm kind of sorry. Sorry, I cut across you. He, he did, did play in his first season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I his, think it was that we haven't qualified since yeah. he arrived. His final game, actually, in the Champions League for Arsenal was the one of the 5-1 defeats uh, to Bayern Munich, which had Chabi Alonso in the team. So there you oh, go. Oh, there you go. That'd be a fun reunion. Are you, I mean, are you? how do you reflect on his, his career and his time at Arsenal? Are you sad to see him go, or are you kind of happy that the most unlikely redemption arc in the career of an Arsenal player that I can remember has reached kind of a nice conclusion for for him and for the fans. I think it absolutely changes the way that he will be remembered and greeted when he does come back either as a, as a player, if that happens, or, or as an ex-pro. I think it, it, it really does change all of that in a very positive way. Absolutely. I think he goes out at absolutely the right moment for him, having completed the, the redemption arc. Um, he's had a brilliant season. I think he will be back uh, in some fashion or other. I, I think he'll be a coach one day, Shaka. Um, yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him in the opposition dugout, or who knows, maybe the actual end of the redemption arc is the home dugout. Um, wouldn't put it past him the way he's recovered so far. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... I also feel slightly, I have to be honest, I, I, I wonder what we might have seen from him had uh, some of what we're seeing now been unlocked slightly earlier. You know, I, I do think back to that first Arsene Wenger quote about him. He's a box-to-box midfielder and everyone going, eh? And Arsene quickly changed his tune and played him at the base of the midfield for the majority of his time. But watching him this season, I can't help but wonder what might have been <laughs> had, had he been used maybe a bit more appropriately during yeah. his time with Arsenal. I think there's probably an entire discussion or podcast to be had about him because I, I, I think he's a guy, when you look back at some of the stuff that happened and some of the things he did and everything else, as frustrating as they were, and I'll be the first to say that there were times where I, he really frustrated me, but I think it was also a lot of internal frustration at the quality of the teams that he was playing in and maybe some of the players that he was playing with because what he has shown is an ability to raise his level as the level has gone up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, as absolutely. we have got better, he, is, he has been a big part of that. And the idea that, like, Granit Xhaka was holding us back, I don't think really... Like, I'm not saying we can't improve on Granit Xhaka now, don't get me wrong, but what I... You know, the idea that he was, like, a fundamental part of what was wrong with the team, maybe in how he was deployed, there might be some something in that. But as we've got better, as the team has got better, he has got better. And I think that's probably... I think that would have been true if we had had a better team in the years that he was here. I think he would have been at the good level rather than, you know, an anchor who was who was holding us back. 
I think that's fair. And I also think people change. You know, we we do this thing with athletes, with footballers, where we're like, well, when they're 18 until they're 22, they're young. And then they're 23 and they're mature. And it's like yeah. the reality, as we all know from our own lives, certainly if you're, you know, if you've reached those points, is that the man you are at 24 and the man you are at 30, as Shaka is now, can be quite dramatically different. Um, it's a period of your life where a lot changes. And I, th- I think it's very possible that he has changed uh, too. You know, I, I think we are guilty sometimes of thinking of athletes as having, of being one thing um, yeah. or, or one type of person. And what's happened to him at Arsenal, yes, it's an extraordinary comeback. And the fans have, you know, shown flexibility and tolerance to kind of welcome him back to their bosom. But I think it, I think when Granit Xhaka is 40 or when Granit Xhaka is 50, he will reflect on these six years as an incredibly important time in his life and in his maturation and his development as a person. Particularly if he does go on to be a coach, as you say, and and has to deal with issues with players, man management of players or situations that they experience. Like he's got plenty to draw from to say, you know what? You know what? It looks one way. It's not impossible that it might go back the other way. If you, if you know, if things line up. Um, Yeah. And there comes a time when most of us learn you can't just walk out when things are hard, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. there comes a point in most people's lives where that either isn't the right thing to do or just isn't an option. Mm. And you have to be flexible. You have to adapt. You have to change. And to his credit, he's done that superbly well. Well, listen, um, it's not official yet, but we'll obviously uh, wait and see what happens. It does look like he's going to go to, to Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and it is whatever way you want to look at it, however you look at it, it is an extraordinary story in and of itself, um, regardless of your opinion on how uh, how things happened and how things played out. Let me ask you this one from Thornley 29 who says, Eddie Nketiah has come on as a sub 34 times in the Premier League in the last two seasons, according to Transfer Marked, and scored zero goals. How much of an issue is this, given his role is likely to remain as an impact sub? Wow, give me those numbers again, Andrew. He's come on as a sub 34 times and not scored a goal. Not ideal, is it? No. No. <laughs> uh, it's not great. I'm just sort of thinking of comparison. I'm, I, I'm just trying to have a look at uh, Julian Alvarez at Man City, who's their sub striker. Mm. See, um, he scored nine Premier League goals this season. Um, and how many of them came in starts? One, two, three, four, five, six. See, what's, what is interesting, actually, is of those nine, I think eight came in games that he started. Um, mm. Surprise, surprise, it's easier to score goals when you start. But it is such a useful weapon to have a player who can come off the bench and score, isn't it? 
Um, mm. We have one, actually. He's a guy called Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, it's nice to see he's alive. Good to see he's alive, yeah. Um, it's really interesting, Eddie. I think he came in when Jesus was injured and initially really impressed. I think that's fair to say. He did a really good job uh, and scored some important goals. Mm-hmm. And then things started to tail off a bit and he kind of lost his place. Trossard came in and reinvigorated yeah. the attack. An injury Jesus. as well, yeah. Yeah, injury as well. Jesus came back. And kind of he finished the season really as the third choice in that position, didn't he? Because I think if Jesus had not been available, it would have been Trossard. Yeah. Um, a few sub-appearances, no goals. I'm not... Yeah, I, I think Eddie had a brilliant opportunity this season. And I, I'm not sure he made the most of it. Do you think he will have done enough? Because I know people, when he signed the new deal, were a little concerned about the size of the wages. Do you think he might have done enough in the period where he did score a few goals and the period last season, towards the end of the season, where he demonstrated if he gets some starts, he will get you some goals? Mm. Maybe not at the rate you need to, to win a title, but certainly... Um, a useful number of goals in the Premier League. I mean, do you think it might be sufficient for a club to say, well, you know, if we start him in enough games, uh, this this is a guy who could deliver for us? Maybe. I mean, the interesting thing about the wages is, from an Arsenal perspective, it kind of made sense because they justified it as, well, you know, to sign a striker of this quality would cost us double because we'd have the transfer fee as well. I suppose the potential issue with that is if you do decide to sell that player, you've got to find another club who'll take that salary on. Mm. Um, Premier League salaries being what they are, maybe that won't be too difficult. Uh, you know, I doubt it's a hundred grand basic, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, um, the way the Saka one is reported, there's probably uh, signing on and oh, goal yeah. bonuses and, uh, and all I, those kinds of things, you know? I think the club are aware of sort of the value of Champions League qualification. And so I think a lot of these contracts have clauses where salaries are kind of relative to whether or not the club is playing the Champions League. Um, I mean, it's nine goals in 39 appearances this season. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not, I'd say it's not bad, but uh, the point made about the bench, I think is really interesting. Like, if you could have a player who could come on and influence and change games, you'd obviously prefer that, or at least like to have that weapon as well mm. in your arsenal. Um, but I, I think where I am with Eddie is, like, I just feel like it was there was a brilliant chance for him when Jesus was injured, and it looked for a moment like he was seizing it, and then it all sort of slipped away somehow. Mm. And... Mikel Arteta has been incredibly positive about him in the past and perhaps he still is and the faith is all still there and we're going to see a lot of him next season. But I kind of would understand if Arteta felt like, well, you really had a good chance and I, I wasn't convinced by how you took it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me either. Um, 
but you know, it's 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 one of those. He's what I'd say. Eddie's in the camp where it's like, if a really good offer came in, I think the club would seriously consider it. I I wouldn't imagine that they're sort of actively trying to move him on or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, because like ultimately, that we can all name like ten players who might go, but mm. they don't all ever go. No, you know, it's yeah, yeah. so. He's not a lock, but I, th- I think the chances are he'll be here next season. Mm. Okay. Um, what about this with from Sonny De Niro? No relation. With Kivior playing left back last couple of games, does this not only spell the end for Tierney, but also save us buying a left back? I mean, it's, it is possible. It is possible because, you know, when Tommy Asu comes back, he can play left back too uh, and has played left back. And I do wonder about the difficulty maybe of adding. People talk, we need another Zinchenko or we need an, another Tierney. I think there's a distinct or distinct way that, that Zinchenko plays. I mean, he did not ask Kivior to do the Zinchenko role, right? He played no, it he differently, sort of and of course, it, didn't he? Yeah, with, with Thomas Partey on the other side, who even then wasn't quite as inverted as Zinchenko is. You know, mm. uh, whether that was to do with game state, and we were up in, in control, and we just needed to be a bit more compact in in terms of how we were set up. But yeah. I do. I, the thing that would m- just make me think, right, is the is the fact that we have an example this season of how a little bit of bad luck can really, like, versatility is good, but sometimes if you're counting on the versatility to give you depth, if you lose a key part of that or a key player in that system, then you're double fucked. You know, like we lost Saliba, but also lost Tommy Asu. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder if, like, you're thinking, okay, you know what? We don't need to buy a left back. We've got Kivior. He can play in there. And then Gabriel gets an injury and Kivior gets an injury. You don't have your redundancy at left-sided center half, which was also a problem this season. So that's what would give me pause for thought. It just depends on, on quite what Mikel Arteta is thinking. I can't quite... I have to be honest, like, after I'm hands up and say, I can't quite get a read on Kivior yet. Um, well, he's only played, like, five games, so I think that's perfectly reasonable. But, yeah, but some players you see and within a minute, I well, some players I see and within a minute, I'm like, I I know what this player does. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, know yeah, who they yeah. are. And some of them, it takes me longer to figure out. Um, well, you've never seen him play as a left-sided centre-half, which is why he was brought to the club, right? He's played as yeah, a right-sided centre-half and he's played at left-back. And like he's had you know, a moment or two here and there, which we don't need to dwell on, I suppose. Um, I just don't think it's unreasonable that you know, with scant minutes, we're unable to make a, yeah. a, our minds up on him. So, Especially in this left-back role. Like, you know, the jury is very much out for me. I, I just don't know um, how suitable for it he is uh i guess it's a nice sort of backup backup option to be mm. able to do you know if you are hit with like a compound injury where you lose two guys at the same time 
But I'm not sure I would feel secure enough saying he is the backup left back, you know, especially without adding another left-sided centre-half. I think Tommy Asu, I, I really think that we could go into next season with Tommy Asu as the alternative to Zinchenko on that side. And I would feel pretty comfortable with that, assuming we got another right-sided defender in. Right back or right centre half? Right back, maybe. Do you right think it might be another right back or right centre half who can play right back? Maybe. I know full back is a big focus for the club this summer. Mm. I think central midfield and full back are kind of the priority areas. Um, doesn't mean they're not interested in other positions, but I think they're the ones they're looking at most intently. What I don't know is, is it going to be a right back and a left back? Is it going to be a right back and flip Tommy Astor to left back? Uh, I don't know, but clearly that's an area of the squad they've looked at and thought, you know, we need more. And I, and I think there's an acceptance that Tierney is going to go. Um, yeah. So I'm intrigued to see what they do because we've got flexibility. You know, we've got players that can play multiple positions. Tommy Astor all across the back four. White can play right back or centre back. Kivior centre-back, potentially left-back. Mm. I think that's all beneficial because it gives you more cover. But I think, yeah. Specificity, I, I, is that what you're... I was, it was on the tip of my tongue, yeah. That's the one. Okay, uh, we had a lot of people asking us to do our our net spend predictions and all that kind of stuff. But that's one for... Yeah, We've got time for that. Got a little bit of time, but let's have this one as a final one. It comes from Chef Reactions, who's at Chef Reactions. Uh, do you ever watch his videos? I don't know. Do I? I don't know. Uh, he's on TikTok and Insta and all that, but he basically watches people's recipes and, you know, the mad recipes people make. Like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, reacts yeah. to them in real time, and they're they're very good and very funny. They're know, they're, they're a mix between like amazing food and like why are you microwaving rice krispies covered in uh, I don't know peanut butter, you know, wrapped in marshmallow, and then serving it with pasta. You know that. And he's of. a chef, this dude. He is, yeah. He Great. is. I'm watching one now uh, on mute, but it looks good. They're I'm, good. I'm, I'm going to watch him. I recommend it. And he's uh, obviously a gooner as well. Uh, so this is a very simple one. Um, he asked what our dream off-season signing is, and I don't quite know uh, yet how to answer that one. But he was talking about, given how we've got some outgoings based on our depth issues, how many signings do you think Mikel Arteta and Edu are looking at? So you don't have to, you know, give me the net spend or anything else. Quick prediction, how many players are coming in? I will just say, by the way, I'm on Chef Reaction's Twitter page and I'm looking at the tweet that says, um, if you go to his tweets and replies, given we've got a few outgoings as well, how many signings, blah, blah, blah. The questions they ask us extra. The tweet below from three hours before says simply, rice, rice, baby. And it's him <laughs> watching a guy cooking some rice. Uh, make of that what you will. Mm. He's an ITK, this guy, this chef. He knows stuff. <laughs> um, okay, I, my how many signings? Um, I'm gonna say how many did we make last summer? Oh, Zinchenko, uh, Jesus, Turner, um, Marquinhos. Yeah. Uh, am, I am I forgetting anyone else? Probably. Hang uh, on. Let me have a look. I'll have a look. 
There's a reason I there's a reason I asked this, but it's it's uh, just to get a handle on. Check it, Vieira. Vieira, yes. Vieira Jesus, Zinchenko, Turner, Marquinhos. So that was five. Mm. Three in January, Kivio, Trossard and Jorginho. I'm going to say... I'm between I'm, I'm between four and five, basically. 4.5. Under over 4.5 players. I'm going to say five because I'm going to say there'll be a Marquinhos. Do you know what I mean? Like, there'll be a guy that we're like, who the hell is that? It'll go out on loan. Maybe it'll be good one day. We won't know for the immediate future. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say five as well. Right. Yeah. So I'll go full five. You're going five with a little asterisk. What's What's interesting about that is that when I think, and the reason I want to know how many signings we made last summer is that when I think of last summer, I guess I think of sort of like fine tuning rather than an overhaul. I feel like we added like, quality but not quantity but then five five feels like quite a lot of signings and it then does. you have William Saliba on top of that but but what okay. we had last season was players who left weren't really playing a big part in what we were doing when you look at the departures uh the only one that was like I guess you would say a really key squad member well there's two obviously Lacazette and Bernd Leno Lacazette lost his place to Eddie. Uh, Leno lost his place to Ramsdale. So they were, you know, depth. But Ganduzi went. Uh, officially, Torreira went. Um, Pablo Marie. Hector Bellerin went. Uh, Nicolas Pepe went out. You know, these guys weren't playing a great deal. I feel like maybe one or two of the departures that are going to happen this season might be players who, maybe even if they didn't play hugely uh, this season, they would have been expected to at least. Um, mm. So you're going to have to replace that a little bit in the squad. Yeah, I think it's. I think, I think it ends up being five, like quite quickly. Do you know what I mean? Like quite easily, like, you can get to five. Um, yeah. If it was four, it wouldn't surprise me because I think some of these will be, you know, big ticket, big money signings. Mm. Um, but let's see. It's, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm really fascinated this summer. I think Ian Wright spoke about this a bit in the live show about, you know, he thinks Mikel's really going to um, be sort of ruthless in how mm. he approaches the squad. Uh, yeah, bring it on. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how we how things shake out. Likewise, likewise. But it is all ahead of us. Uh, and we should get this uh, podcast out to everybody at this point because it's uh, coming up on 20 past eight of a Monday evening. So we're a little behind where we normally are. Um, again, look, just thank you everyone for being with us this season. We've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. We're, you know, as we do, going to keep cracking on during the summer. We'll cover all the transfer bits and bobs and there'll probably be an uptick in nonsense and waffle along the way. But that uh, that's just it's just what we do so you're going to have to live with that too uh, so uh, we'll talk more during the week of course until the next one folks take it easy bye bye why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.